Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Well, welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast. How should we think about the pro-life conversation in today's culture? Really excited to have a good friend of Impact 360 Institute with us today, Megan Allman, who literally has trained thousands of students across the country uh, working in this area, working with the Life Training Institute for over 10 years, has a master's um, in apologetics. She, she speaks and teaches on these issues brings great expertise. She's teaching our students, even this week here, our Impact 360 fellows. Uh, been married to her husband, Tripp, for 17 years, have two kids. They, uh, her husband works with Summit, a great ministry, working with the next generation. Uh, she was a gymnast, right? Right. A- and, and you have a dog named Gus <laughs> and, a, and a hamster from, from the season of COVID. Yes. So, so it sounds like as much as we want to get to the other things, do you want to share briefly the, the, oh, the, ha- hamster. the hamster story? Yes. I have a 14-year-old daughter who decided that she needed a pet in her life. The dog was not enough. And so she um, saved all of her birthday money and bought all of the necessary things for the hamster. She did the research. And so we were found ourselves stuck as parents do. We're like, oh, okay, she really did it. We have to buy <laughs> one now. So a few, a couple months into the the COVID season, um, we did have some stores doing some soft openings. We called pet stores, and the one at the local mall had baby hamsters, but you couldn't go in the store. And so they said, "Would she like to do a Zoom meeting to meet the baby hamsters?" And so we did, and we we selected a hamster, brought it home, and it did not fare very well. Um, we took it back. He's still alive, but I don't, we don't know how he was doing. But they said, we'd like to give you a replacement because apparently there's a warranty on hamsters. <laughs> Especially ones that are bought over Zoom. Apparently. Yeah. Um, and so they met, they met us at the service entrance at the mall with our replacement hamster. And as soon as I took the box, I realized this is a large rodent. Um, and so we got in the car and sure enough, the rodent proved his size and his um, hunger for freedom, he started ripping his way out of the little cardboard box on the drive home, which made for this huge scenario. But we got him home, got him in his cage. He's happy and still doing well. And because of his unusually large size, his name is Dr. Bruce Banner, <laughs> at, a.k.a. The, the Hulk. Yes. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I think everyone listening right now can relate to this in some form or fashion, <laughs> because since March, I'm sure everyone listening has done something in light of this COVID season that you didn't think that you were going to do or have to do or need to do. And so hopefully uh, that makes you understand and, and you can relate to that because we've all been walking walking through that one. But Megan, it's great to have you with us. So good to be here. Thanks for being here, investing in our students. And I do want to reference at the beginning just a past podcast where we had Megan on, where we talked about making the case for life. So I definitely want you to check that out on the Impact 360 podcast. But we kind of want to do a current state of things and so, Megan, as you travel around the country, as you speak to literally thousands and tens of thousands of students on this topic, and, and this is what you wake up thinking about, what maybe is, let's just start it, describe the current landscape. Like, you know, somebody looking back going, okay, how do I think about this in 2020? Right. Um, Well, it's interesting because I haven't been traveling to speak to thousands of students this year because of COVID. We've been doing more virtual events, just like a lot of people. Um, And I think that this season has brought to light some interesting things, right? We're talking a lot more than we were, perhaps, about 
what does it mean to be human and valuable? And maybe not particularly in those words, but we're talking about it in terms of who are we trying to protect here? What are we trying to do? And, and so everybody's kind of in on this conversation. Um, and I find that that makes an interesting transition to conversations about abortion, especially during an election year um, like, like this one. This might mm-hmm. be unlike one we've ever seen before yeah. um, in many, many ways. But this morning I, I was talking with the students here at Impact and asked them about the injustices that we see. Of course, they, they named a whole list of things that they are seeing, and, and I do mean seeing in high definition on their phones, play themselves out. And abortion was on that list. And the next thing I asked them is, how is the way that people talk about abortion different than the way they talk about these other issues? And man, they came out with an entire list of ways that it's different. And I was honestly very impressed with their thoughtfulness. Um, Just first of all, the the way that people frame abortion for some time has been as if it is a subjective issue. And we touched on that in the last podcast, but it's still, I think, one of the biggest hurdles that we have in talking about pro-life things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because people want to frame abortion as something that is personal for you or for me, but not something we can press on other people in terms of our pro-life view. And so when we when we run into that, it's that's not the way we would talk about racism or the way we would talk about slavery or sex trafficking or, or any of the other injustices that they named. Um, and they recognized that right away this morning and, and students often do. Uh, I often use the, the, the bumper sticker analogy where the bumper sticker that says, oh, you don't like abortion, then don't have one. Hmm. And the issue with that sticker is that it takes that objective statement, this moral statement about abortion, a moral issue, and tries to twist it into a preference type of issue and it's not that kind of issue because of that word like. And Francis Beckwith would tell you, you know, what if that said, oh, you don't like slavery? Well, then don't own one. Mm-hmm. Um, it usually brings things pretty clear for people. Um, right. and so they're going, oh, wow, maybe I do need to think about this more consistently. And that, that's the key is consistency. But um, abortion in the landscape that we live in now, um, it's been touched by so many different things that have come down through the, I guess, the history of ideas, which is very complex. But things like the, you know, the, the fact-value split in the 17th century that um, Francis Schaeffer talked about, and of course Nancy Piercy, his, his student, who's just a wonderful um, contemporary scholar, and um, things like the sexual revolution, things like second-wave feminism, which kind of confused a woman's worth or an individual's worth as something that had to do with how many wages they could earn, you know, if we're, hmm. we're simplifying it. Um, So all of these things have formed this melting pot of what we have now, this landscape. Um, And so what we find, I think, is that as the students begin to list the objections they have heard or seen or had to the pro-life view, a couple of things we had to point out even before we begin talking about the pro-life view is, number one, yeah, this is this is complex in some ways. Morally speaking, very simple. And the last podcast points out why. That, mm-hmm. That's so simple. But the landscape that we have is complex because, number one, this is not an us versus them, a pro-life versus those pro-choicers over there. Um, you know, that person is not my enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and just I, th- I think that's when we look at the Christian worldview as a whole, we have to understand who is our real enemy? What is our real enemy here? And there are so many ideas out there from those trickle-down effects over time that we're fighting against. And that's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 10. But also the fact that everything listed on that board, these objections, these questions, these challenges to the pro-life view, not a single one of them dealt with something easy or flippant 
or simple. Hmm. So we have to begin the conversation by realizing there's no one at the table at this conversation who isn't there because they care for someone. But there's a lot of questions about how are we defining what someone is. So, hmm. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And and even as you were talking, you know, you know, also layered in there, um, you could probably throw in, obviously, like the Me Too conversation. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, yes, legitimate instances of abuse towards women. And then that gets encoded mm-hmm. in this conversation as well, right? Yeah. And that becomes complex because... And so, as you're saying, people, I think in, in in a unique way in this season that we're in, I think might, as you were saying, be less likely to subjectivize it. Meaning it's like, wait a second, I can't really do that with this issue or this issue or this issue. How would that not look differently? So how might someone even thinking or listening to this right now, maybe leverage that particular intuition that, mm-hmm. that in a conversation or in a question? Is there a way that you could help people see that? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, of course, the asking of questions is always going to be a great way to start and have a conversation. But maybe maybe to frame it something like this, um, our mutual friend Jay Watts, mm-hmm. uh, another great pro-life apologist, um, he has said, you know what, there's a lot wrong with abortion. In other words, there are a lot of very complex things that bump into the abortion issue, but there is only one reason abortion is wrong. Um, and so when, when we're in conversations about it, I think if we can kind of go there and help people see, like, all right, we're all answering the same questions with these injustices that we see. We can truly call them injustices. And a lot of them come back to the idea, a very simple idea that even children's stories will make obvious. I was reading uh, Dr. Seuss's The Sneetches with my kids the other day, you know, the one about the, the stars on the belly and then the ones with none upon bars. Like mm-hmm. that's the, it's a great book that illustrates this idea. But the idea is that there are some of our kind that don't matter as much as others. Hmm. That's the idea lurking behind any injustice, that for, for some arbitrary reason, there are some human beings that don't matter as much as other human beings. And so I think if there's a way to bring the conversation back and go, hey, you know this this particular injustice that you see, we could take racism as an example. This idea that there are some human beings that matter more than others based on something as arbitrary as skin color, right? That's ludicrous, obviously so. Well, what about if we look at abortion? Wouldn't it also be an example of saying that there are some human beings who don't matter as much as others? Now, you might have to do some legwork there on demonstrating the scientific evidence that the unborn are human, which we did in that last podcast. Um, So there's plenty of information there. Um, But just to bring it back to something as simple as that, those under undercurrents, those ideas, those questions that we're all wrestling with to show how this issue relates. Yeah. and, And being able to connect on that. And that's why it's so important, you know, to clarify the issue. Like, like as you teach so well and, and Scott and everyone at the life training Institute is, you know, what is the unborn? Yeah. Right. I mean, that is the question. So maybe maybe in a minute and this will maybe kind of in, encourage people to go back and listen to that other podcast episode if they haven't already. But if you were going to kind of summarize in a, in a minute or so kind mm-hmm. of the importance of that question and clarifying the debate, how would you do that? Yeah, well, you can demonstrate or demonstrate. You could say the entire pro-life view simply in a minute. Um, so, yeah, let's say uh, you were in a conversation with, with anyone and they said, so tell me, why are you pro-life? Or if it's more heated, you know, why do you want to wage war on women, Jonathan? Yeah. You know, whatever, because um, it's not always nice. Well, instead of getting mad, which 
we often tend to do. That's why it turns into a shouting match. But again, that subjective background, the idea that this is mine, I created it, and, and so you're attacking me. Um, but if we can recognize it's not that kind of issue, it's an objective issue. So it's either right or wrong, and we can talk about the evidence. So if you were asked that question, you might say something like, you know what, I'm pro-life because the science of embryology tells me that from the very beginning, you, Sally, I don't know who you're talking to, mm -hmm were a living, distinct, whole human being. And you weren't part of another human being. You were a whole organism, a whole human being in and of yourself, even at that single-celled stage. And there is no relevant difference between that embryo that you once were and the adult that you are today that would have justified killing you back then, but not now. Differences like size and level of development environment, which is where you're located, and degree of dependency, famous SLED acronym, aren't good enough reasons to say that someone could be killed before they're born, but not after they're born. At that point, you've presented a case in less than a minute. I didn't time myself, but yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. Um, and you can, you can let it rest and see what the response is. Uh, because they got to respond to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And what's really important about that, especially if you're listening to this conversation, is those are objective facts. That's science. It's philosophy. And there was no Bible verses attached to it. Not to say that Bible verses aren't consistent with that or teach the value of all human life right. and the unborn. But if someone were to swipe, well, if I don't believe the Bible, therefore I swipe away your argument, mm -hmm. you've not made that kind of argument in that case. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We talked about that this morning as well with that question, what is the unborn, as the central question. And we have to answer the question, what is the unborn, before we can talk about whether or not we're allowed to kill the unborn. That's not a religious question. It's a scientific one. That's where we would go. And I mean, even if it, even if it were in some way, I, I don't think that religion is unreasonable, and neither do you, yeah. in order to, everyone's doing the metaphysics anyway. We talked a little bit about that too. Um, but yeah, it's a scientific question, and that's the beauty of apologetics or case-making, is that we can take things up into the abstract, we can sort through the logic of the ideas, we just can't untether ourselves from the people that they affect. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so helpful um, to think about that. But really, that clarifying question, whether this is something you've thought about for a long time and you're listening to this, or this is something that's new, is, is what is the unborn and then everything else flowing from that? And then how do we care for people well in that whole conversation yeah. around it? And so, you know, talk about the power of words in this mm. kind of cultural moment around how things get framed or even named or the rhetoric. Kind of, kind of unpack that, how it kind of has evolved and kind of surrounds the whole issue of the pro-life conversation. Yeah. Well, at Summit, we have a beloved member of our faculty that we lost, unfortunately, last year named um, Dr. Michael Bauman. Mm. And um, one thing that Dr. Bauman talked about so well was the importance of words, the words that we choose, the words that we use, and understanding what words mean when we use them. Um, he would say that Jesus used his words perfectly, and so we should strive for that. And in a culture where words are very quickly losing their meaning, you know, he, Dr. Bauman said, when, when words begin to lose their meaning, people lose their lives. Hmm. Um, similar to John Stone Street's comment about ideas. You know, ideas have consequences. Dangerous ideas have victims. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the wording out there, the rhetoric out there has grown to such a degree that we, you, you might not even hear the word abortion all that often anymore. Um, it's couched in terms that sound really hard to refute. Things like uh, women's health, women's mm. health care, women's rights, uh, reproductive freedom. Like, who wants to be against that, right? right. That's powerful rhetoric. 
Uh, it's one of the things about you know, teaching teaching our young adults to think carefully and to think critically about what's really being said, no matter the words that are used. A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. But um, yeah, our words our words matter. And when it comes to abortion, I think that the the kind of the taking and the twisting of the rhetoric, and even the the flirting with the idea of well, we just don't want to be labeled. Hmm. Right. This was something that Planned Parenthood came out with a few years ago, some propaganda that talked about, let's just get rid of the labels pro-life and pro-choice because they don't really do a good job of explaining things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So all of that makes for a really confusing time for people who aren't, um, I guess, read up on the issue or involved in it on a day to day basis, because you hear things like that and it is enticing. It's powerful. We don't want to stand against women. We don't want to be at war against them. We don't want to hate them as if that's what's really happening here. Um, so, yeah, we, we're in a landscape where the where the wording has 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 gone awry. Yeah. And and so so let's say that someone is maybe having a conversation around a dinner table or with a friend or a roommate. Mm-hmm. And some of those things, it's like, well, how can you as a Christian possibly be against reproductive freedom? Yeah. Like, how would you like help them? find their way back from that to somewhere that's meaningful in that conversation. Absolutely. Um, Well, if you hear that, you know what they're talking about, right? But the question is, do they know what they're talking about? And so I would ask the question, I'm just going to borrow liberally from our friend Greg Kokel Mm -hmm. at Stand to Reason um, in his masterpiece work, Tactics in Defending the Faith. So I would ask an information gathering question there. I would want to know, hey, um, what do you mean exactly by reproductive freedom? Spell that out for me. And then let them do it. And, and that's, that's not a threatening question. It's a question that's asking them for more information. Help me understand what your view is. Um, at that point, I hope that you can get to the place where uh, you're talking about this freedom to choose. Because you know, freedom for what? What kind of freedom are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, it's freedom to choose whether to continue with a pregnancy or not. Okay, well, what does that really mean? So you see, you're just digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And what I hope that you would end up um, talking about is the fact that we can agree that there are choices that everyone ought to be free to make. You know, I'm pro-choice on any number of things. That might be a place where the labels aren't helpful because I'm very pro-choice in terms of choosing my husband, you mm-hmm. know, choosing which college I went to, choosing which car I drive. Like, well, uh, I, I can't drive the car that I want because I can't afford it. But um, <laughs> between the relevant choices, you get to choose. I mean your that, car. I'm so I'm glad of my car. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying: choices that we have. But there are some choices that no one ought to be free to make. And I know that there are some that we can agree on. No one ought to be free to walk into this room and steal your wallet, Jonathan, and then walk away with it, right? That's not okay. Right. Likewise, this choice is one that at that dinner table we might disagree on. So we need to talk about this particular choice and what it's really about. Yeah, and I think that's so helpful because everyone can ask a question. And I think sometimes, whether it's talking about the unborn or the topic of abortion or any area or issue of apologetics or existence of God or reliability of the Bible. I mean, sometimes people feel like, oh, I'm going to get in over my head so quick. I won't know what to say. Maybe I haven't studied this very long. I don't want to set the faith back 2,000 years by what I'm going to say next. But you can ask a question. And so kind of that information gathering question, which is so brilliant that Greg came up with in terms of, you know, what do you mean by that? You know, and Mm -hmm. define your terms. Help me understand, are we using this this the same way? And then Mm -hmm. how did you arrive at that conclusion? Like, what are the reasons and evidence for it? 
And then you're on your way to a good conversation. And usually, not always, but usually that diffuses things. And then people are actually able to have a conversation yeah. for the most part. And, and so not only does it diffuse things, but it helps you hit the mark. Like you understand what it is they believe and why they believe it rather than attacking some you know, ethereal view over here that you thought they might believe. So Yeah, and we could all benefit helpful. from that today because there's so many straw men on all sides of it's just like, you know what? Let's just what are we talking about? Are we clear? Mm -hmm. Do we disagree? Do we not? What's the biblical view on this? How do we engage? Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of true arguing going on. There's a lot of attacking yeah. going on. A lot of yelling, a lot of mm -hmm. that. But but it'd be much better if we had more conversations around this. So that's really really helpful. Well, <laughs> tongue in cheek, back to some of the yelling. We are in a political season, right? Yeah. And so. Um, I hadn't noticed. I'm yeah, you hadn't. I was like, yeah. I mean, who knows? Um, I've heard. Uh, somebody told me to ask the question. But obviously, issues of worth and dignity get enshrined in law or not. And so talk about the role and value of the legal or legislative or even the judiciary kind of when it comes to these kind of things in terms of the importance of that for the unborn and kind of how should Christians think about that and, and, and kind of put those things together. Yeah, well, in some ways, things can be oversimplified to the law. So what I hear a lot about abortion isn't a thoughtful reproach to, um, you know, the immorality of the issue, but more, well, it's legal, as if that's the end all. All right, well, you know, we can point to many uh, lessons from history where things were legal that ought not be. Um, but I think the law of the land says a lot about the land, says a lot about the culture and the people. And so when it comes to abortion, when it comes to the way the law was written, you know, years and years ago, we actually had a say as to what went on when it came to pro-life issues, when it came to the abortion issue. And what happened in 1973 is that the Supreme Court kind of took that away. They took away our say and, and, and your say, you know, everyone's say on the issue because they took it and turned it into law. They said, we're going to decide how this is going to go, not only with Roe versus Wade, which all by itself doesn't legalize abortion all the way through pregnancy, but its sister case, Doe versus Bolton, which define women's health very broadly. So those laws together have created where we are, which I don't know if that was the intention of the court. I wouldn't think that abortion on demand was their intention, but here we are. Um, so if abortion truly does take the life of an innocent human being, and that is what the pro-life case argues, that abortion intentionally kills a human being in the womb. We can go to scientific evidence, philosophical evidence to demonstrate that abortion kills full-fledged members of the human family. If that is true, then the law ought to reflect its wrongness because law properly grounded reflects morality, reflects truth. So. I think that the change of the law is going to be important. Now, I'm asked all the time, what will happen if Roe v. Wade is overturned? Is that going to end abortion? The answer is no, it won't end abortion, but it will send the decision-making power back to the states, which means you will have a say once again. And if I'm going to fight this fight, I'd rather fight it closer to home, you know, in terms of the legal types of things. So it won't end. It will really just begin in a whole new way. But changing the law, does it does matter in terms of setting a precedent. I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said, you know, I can't make the white man love me, but I can stop him from lynching me mm -hmm. with legal changes, with the law. So the law matters. But on this battlefield that we're on, um, a lot of the work I do is much more on the cultural level because I do think that the law changing will be effective. It will stop many abortions from happening, but it, it won't change minds and hearts all by itself. 
And that's more our job and I think the church's job of, of being truth tellers and telling better stories about the world, true stories about the world. And so in terms of the playing field with that, I think that we have to do both. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the law changed today, I'd be all right with it. It would be messy, but, but good. Yeah, because it would mm-hmm. it would bring those things closer, and it would open up conversations that haven't been able to be happening really since 1973. Yeah, and with developments in embryology and developments in science and stuff that that honestly isn't always considered if it were to be brought before the courts in some way today. Yeah, it's been really interesting for those paying attention leading up to this election cycle, the states that have shifted and moved to try and ban abortion within the state, states like Georgia, for example, um, with the six-week policy that they're instituting. And when Roe v. Wade was written, it was written within the law that if the personhood of the unborn could be established, then it would overturn the law. And so I think that's what a lot of these states are after is to take it all the way to the Supreme Court level and challenge that notion that the unborn are not people. And so if that's challenged and if they were to win, it would be a great victory. So we'll see what happens. But right now we're, it's all up in the air. Yeah. And as Christians, we can, you know, as, as Johnson Street likes to say, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We have to care about people, the ideas, and the law, and the politics. We've got to, we've, we, there's ways to faithfully apply our worldview to all of those things and still care for people. And so, you know, before we talk about a little bit, maybe about the uh, maybe a third way or a kind of a way forward, yeah. I, I do want to just real quick give you an opportunity to speak. You know, this, this topic of abortion hits so many different people. And maybe there's somebody listening who's maybe had an abortion or their abortion is really personal to them and their family or their life. And sometimes they feel either condemnation or shame or whatever they're feeling on that. Maybe just say a word to someone listening right now, because I know in some ways our our previous podcast conversation, we talked about some of those things. But what would you say to somebody listening who maybe is impacted deeply by abortion? Yeah. Um, Well, I, I have to believe that somebody listening has been impacted deeply by it because the numbers tell me that's the truth. And what I can say is that the job that I do is not my you know, idea of fun. I don't do it for that reason. Um, I don't do it to incite guilt. I don't go around to schools. I don't love the part where I give the scientific case for the evidence of the humanity of the unborn. And a 17-year-old in the audience who had an abortion two weeks ago learns for the very first time what happened that, that day two mm. weeks ago. Um, but I have to be faithful to what is true. And I know that the gospel of Christianity is objectively true, which is the only reason you should believe in anything. There are wonderful reasons that you can argue in the good sense of arguing to demonstrate that the gospel is true. And it hinges on the work and resurrection of Christ. And the reasons given for that resurrection are far better historically and scientifically and medically and philosophically than any other explanation that's ever been given. But what that tells me is that we have a Savior who voluntarily laid down his life in our place, took the punishment that was due all of us, not just those who've had an abortion, not just those who've lied, not just those who've this. It's not about that. We are on a level playing field apart from Christ. And then he got up from the dead and he made a mockery of sin. And what that tells me is that when it comes to this issue, the only way I know how to view it is through the lens of that gospel and through the hope and the healing that it um, offers freely to those who will receive it. So for anyone listening who has had a brush with abortion, whether you've had an abortion, um, someone close to you has had an abortion, you've paid for an abortion, guys and girls, 
know that it is not some unforgivable sin, that the love of Christ doesn't reach there for some reason, but rather that Christ is there ready to accept and receive, just like in the, in the, the parable of um, the prodigal son. When the father sees the son coming, he doesn't wait for the son to approach and grovel. Like he picks up his robe and runs to him, completely undignified. And that is what the father does for us. So um, I think that that is, that is the only way to look at this issue. Otherwise, I, I think I'd give in mm. to just despair. Yeah. Well, that's amen. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. You know, and as we think about even maybe this next generation or, you know, a third way, like what's a way forward? To yeah. kind of maybe reframe even some of this, our culture is so polarizing. It's so either us, them, mm-hmm. this side, that side. Yeah. But for Gen Z, teenagers, the next generation, what's maybe a third way? What? Yeah. I, well, I think just on that note, it's important to talk about, we were talking about words a few minutes ago. And the term pro-life, really in the last year, it's been going on longer than that, but more so in these last months has the buildup been that that term has been co-opted and redefined. So either you're pro-life or you're wholly pro-life, right? All the way pro-life. So it's been kind of an interesting thing because of that polarization that somehow more conservative people are pro-life in terms that they're, you know, part of the pro-life movement. They, They want babies to be saved, but... Um, others are more wholly pro-life in that they care about all these other issues that affect humanity. And again, the rhetoric, the rhetoric is enticing, it's powerful, it's strong, but you've got to listen to what's being said. Because I don't think it's one way or the other way in terms of that. In fact, we can distinguish between the pro-life movement, which since its inception has existed to end abortion, which is a good and worthy and noble cause. Um, The pro-life movement uh, people in the pro-life movement are from all stripes of life, all kinds of religious backgrounds or non-religious backgrounds, if we want to call them that. Um, and in terms of, of what they're doing, what they believe about abortion, that it should come to an end, they're so often criticized about it because they're not taking on all of these other issues. As my friend Scott Klusendorf, my boss, Scott Klusendorf would say, um, yeah, nobody's insulting the American Cancer Society for not curing heart disease right now. That's not their main mission. Uh, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that people there don't care about that. So the pro-life movement exists for the, the purpose of ending abortion. The pro-life view, because its undercurrents say that there is no relevant difference between any of us that would justify killing one and not the other, that functional value is not the way we can have any kind of just society, any kind of society where human equality is going to be a real thing. But the only answer is that we are intrinsically valuable because of our human nature, because of the human nature that we share that is grounded in the Christian worldview and our image-bearing status. So that, that view is encompassing enough to, to speak to why every single one of those other injustices are wrong and the, the wrongness of killing the most vulnerable among us. It's consistent and it's beautiful. Um, so I think that for those who are caught in the, like the, just the maelstrom of, of, of back and forth and teeth gnashing and fighting and all of this that's going on, my prayer for our young people is that they can look at it and go, you know what, this is not okay. This, this whole, like, I reject this story. I reject this story. There has to be this third way that we're talking about. I find it interesting that when I go into classrooms and offer pro-life apologetics, when I build the case and make the case, they have to ask me about political affiliations. They have no idea where I stand on the spectrum. 
Um, and and I, the reason I find that interesting is because it's not there. It's Christ-like. Mm-hmm. It's the one that's unexpected, the one that came out of left field where you're going like, wait, I thought I had you in a box, but now you're saying things that resonate deeply within me because of the kind of being that I am. And I don't know what to do with that. So those are the stories that we need to be telling better stories. Another thing I think that the younger people coming up can do is to be like Andre Trachme, the the pastor who during World War II led his entire village to um, hide and house mostly Jewish children. They saved more than 5,000 lives during World War II. Nobody ratted him out. Nobody in that village did. And when the Nazis invaded and took him to prison and started questioning him, they interrogated him about the Jews living in his village and they asked him, name the Jews living amongst you, name them. And he looked at them and he said, I do not know what a Jew is. I only know what a man is. Hmm. He rejected their vocabulary. And I think in some ways we have to take the words back and reject the, the, the meanings that are the meaninglessness that has been instilled in them. Take them back, reject the vocabulary and start speaking with authority again on, on what is true and right. And yeah, I, finally, I think just to tell better stories. We have such good stories to tell about things like motherhood, things like pregnancy, the miracle that those things are. Um, I think we have better stories that we can tell about what a society that truly loves women looks like. Um, For those who love Nancy Piercy's work, as I do, uh, the book Love Thy Body, I highly recommend it. Yeah, very good. Um, Very good. But there's a small section in that book where she she's talking about this very thing. Since when did we become a culture that says in order to truly succeed as a woman, I have to bend my body and my biology to fit the culture? Why can't we be a culture that celebrates women as women, women as capable of bearing children, which is something men cannot do biologically? It's, it's a wonderful part, essential part of being female. Not everyone chooses to marry and have children, and that's, that's the freedom that God gives us in His grace. But it's something women can do. So what does a culture look like that celebrates women and children? How would that change the face of our workplaces and our universities and our cities, our restaurants, all of it? I think we can be telling those stories and painting a picture that's a lot more attractive um, rather than going, oh, let's just, let's just keep faking it till we make it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, those are, those are hopeful and helpful suggestions. And I really hope, you know, as we get to work with the next generation, whether it's here in Impact 360 or as you get to speak and train and equip and all those kind of things, you know, that's the better way. Like to reframe, to use the words, to tell better stories, to, to capture the imagination again. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's so, so important. And so I hope as, as you're listening to this right now that maybe you've thought about this um, conversation in a new way, that you've maybe had an idea or a question or even maybe a person that's come to mind that, that maybe you might be able to have a conversation with or something like that. But I hope that as you've listened, you, you've, you've found something that will help you make the case for life in a more compelling way. Um, and that's, that's an important part of being a disciple of Jesus. Um, and so, um, Megan, I just want to thank you for spending time with us uh, today and investing in our students. Um, I know people can find more about you and your ministry at ProLifeTraining.com mm-hmm. and, and your speaking and teaching and all of that. But, but just thank you again for all that you do. And thanks for spending some time with us today. It is so fun to be here. I love Impact.
For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.